Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, Anderson, I say it every night because it matters every night. Thank you for telling the stories of those who are gone because of this virus. Nobody does it better than you. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. Today has been the deadliest day so far of this new American war. Question, why are cases growing so fast here, faster than in other countries? Are we any closer to better weapons than just washing our hands and staying away from one another? Where are we in this war in terms of timing? planning and potential? Those are big questions, and we have the perfect guest to answer them. Not only does he know as much as anyone in this fight, he is believed more than anyone in this fight. Dr. Anthony Fauci is here. Let's get the facts and test the plan together as ever as one. Let's get after it. Straight to Dr. Anthony Fauci. We are lucky to have you back on primetime tonight, doctor. I hope you're doing well. I'm well, thank you, Chris. Good to be with you. Question, Uh, you talked to the WHO, the World Health Organization. Uh, What perspective did you get, uh, just macro, lessons learned, and also insight into why us, doctor? Why are we growing faster than other places that we assume we're better set up then? Well, you know, the insight you get is when you look at the different uh, patterns of what happened in different countries, China versus South Korea versus what we're seeing in northern Italy, it really gives you some interesting insight into things, not only in the explosive nature in certain places versus others, but also as you start to get to your peak, when do you know that you're actually turning the corner? And the, the data we went over at the WHO call today, which was representatives from countries all over the world, was that you take a look at the number of new infections on any given day. So five days ago, it was 600. And then four days ago, it was 800. And then three days ago, it was 1,000. You're going way, way up. It's when the new infections each day start to level off to be the same and then start going down then you see the curve go down. And that's exactly what certain countries like China and South Korea have seen. Italy is not there yet. Italy got hit really badly, almost certainly, and I think this gets to your question about us here in the United States, is Italy got hit very badly because they had a large number of importations from China by Chinese tourists. And before they even knew what was going on, there was enough baseline people spreading that it essentially got out of hand and it became difficult for them as good as they are and they're very good to be able to contain it in a way that is contact tracing, all that kind of thing. It was more mitigation. How do we deal with what we have? Mm. They're in a very difficult position. If you go now to the United States, we're a big country and there are different patterns, Chris. Remember weeks ago, The hardest hit part was in Washington state, and that was a cluster 
of, of nursing homes right. and, and extended care homes. That was a different kind of thing than what you see in New York City, which very likely got seeded because New York City is a hub of influx of travelers, not only originally from China, but also from Europe, which has become the new China in the sense of the number of cases. So New York City is dominating the situation in the United States. About 60% of the infections are in the New York City metropolitan mm -hmm. area, and 56% of the new infections are coming from the New York City metropolitan area. So you guys are getting hit terribly hard, and it's so unfortunate, but that's the reason why it looks like this big explosion, because it is what it is, whereas other areas of the country, although they're seeing cases, they're at different levels in that curve of kinetics. Right. But New York is right in the middle of it. I, until Louisiana. And now you have the Big Easy is getting crushed, specifically New Orleans. And all of a sudden they went from like 100 cases last week to now they're like 10 times that plus. What, what's going on down there? It's the same thing. What it is is that what likely happened, they've done it now. I mean, I, I, have, I have spoken to the political officials in New Orleans and in the state of Louisiana. They're now shutting things down in a very vigorous way. It is likely that that should have been done a little bit sooner, not blaming anyone on that, but you get caught unawares because the nature of this outbreak, Chris, that's so frustrating and in many respects, you know, a bit frightening and intimidating is what you and I discussed, you know, several shows ago. It putters along and you think you're okay. And then it starts to go up a little and then bingo, it goes up in an exponential way. So that's what's happening in New Orleans now. So you've got two different uh, points of pressure coming from opposite directions. You have people saying it's been long enough, Tony. You told me two weeks. I did two weeks. I can't do this anymore. I want to get back uh, to work. We got to open up. Whatever happens, happens. And then on the other side, you have this pressure of clearly we have to do this a lot longer because the mitigation efforts aren't working. My brother, every other word out of his mouth is accelerating. You know, it's blah, 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 accelerating cases, blah, blah, accelerating, accelerating pattern. So how do you deal with those opposite interests? We've done it long enough. We're frustrated. We want to get over this. And what you've told us to do so far, it's still accelerating. Right. It, it, there's no, you're absolutely correct, 100%, Chris. It's accelerating. And what you've got to do is that when you have a big country like this, you've got to look at it in different ways. Right now, you wouldn't even think about not, not putting the damper on what's going on in New York. That would be outlandish as it's going up, no doubt. But there are other parts of the country which we need to get a better feel for what is going on. And the way we do that is by increasing testing and identifying people who are infected, isolating them, getting out of circulation, and then do contact tracing. That's what we call containment. So you could do containment and maybe ease up a bit in one area, whereas in other areas where it's mitigation, all you gotta do is put all your resources in there to help the people who are under this stressful situation. So the different solutions for so different parts of the country. I got you. Different strategies for different I, I parts of the country. Yeah, I get exactly. it. Exactly. But then exactly. you have like, well, how long? And I get it. The answer is going to be depends where you are. I get it. But if it's California and there you have the governor and the mayor discussing the Los Angeles mayor, that it's going to be months. It's going to take months for them. And then you're hearing uh, here in New York, 
Andrew says, uh, the governor here says, we're two or three weeks from seeing the worst crush at the hospitals. I mean, it seems that the timeline is getting extended farther out, not that things are going better than expected anywhere. Yeah. What you've got to do, Chris, you've got to be realistic and you've got to understand that you don't make the timeline. The virus makes the timeline. Mm. So you've got to respond in what you see happen. And if you keep seeing this acceleration, it doesn't matter what you say one week, two weeks, three weeks, you've got to go with what the situation on the ground is. So when people say it may take months, I think what people are talking about is how long it takes to go all the way down. But you may see in a relatively shorter period of time when you're seeing the inkling of the flattening and coming down. But, you know, you can't make an arbitrary decision until right. you see what you're dealing with. You need the data. All right. So let me ask you some uh, some some quick punch questions here. These uh I'm skeptical of these things. So obviously you'll set us straight about what's true. Vitamin C, vitamin D. Uh, You know, first it was these words I couldn't uh, pronounce, deoxy, whatever drug. And then we hear somebody dies from the drug. And then there's other drug therapies they're trying. Now it's vitamin C, vitamin D. Are any of these things something that we have any degree of confidence, and by we I mean you, that can actually work in mitigating the effects of the extreme cases of this virus? I think you have to separate the vitamins from drugs that are being uh, touted as being effective or not. For example, vitamin C is a pretty good antioxidant. I mean, there are studies that say vitamin C is very good against mitigating the effects of certain infections, and others say there's no effect. It's essentially totally harmless unless you take a ridiculous amount. So I have no problem with vitamin C. There's some interesting situations about vitamin D. And in fact, Tom Frieden, who the former CDC director wrote an op-ed, I think yesterday, when he was talking about some interesting suggestions about various regions of the globe and, and respiratory infections that might be related to vitamin D. No definite proof, but again, you're not getting hurt. But when you're talking about a drug that might have some toxicity, that's a different thing. That's why you keep hearing me over and over again saying the best optimal way is to do a a randomized controlled trial to determine as quickly as possible whether something works, and if it does, get it out there. Mm. If it doesn't, get it off the table. So let me ask you something. New York, this two to three week window where there's gonna be a crush. Forget about the timing, forget about the when. Let's just deal uh, with the reality. How frightening may it be for people living here and obviously watching all over the country of what they see at the hospitals? Do you think there's a chance that we're going to relive a Katrina type event where we were down there reporting in front of the Superdome and there were people all lined up outside that place because they couldn't get in and they were sick and worse? Is that what overcapacity looks like? Is that what overwhelmed looks like? You know, overwhelmed looks like that. But, Chris, I I don't think that's going to happen. I hope not. I mean, nothing is impossible. But the reason I say I don't think that's going to happen is because you're right. And I know that Governor Cuomo was speaking about a certain period of time where he's going to be running out. He's now getting help with ventilators, with masks and others. Hopefully that will be enough. I think it will be to be able to match what he and others who are in a stressful situation as he is is are facing. But that's the reason why you've got to now put all of the cylinders going to try and keep up with this, because the one thing you don't want 
is you don't want a situation where you run out of essential things that you right. need. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't want to scare anybody because I believe in the meetings that I've been in at the task force, you're talking about FEMA, you're talking about other organizations that are really geared to try and help out. You're getting private industry involved in making more of these things that we need. So um, we're putting a big push on. Are you guys on the same page, you and Andrew? Um, because I know that everybody's saying he's the voice of calm, but as we both know, he is really concerned that he's not going to have enough uh, to deal with this. I know you talk to him on a regular basis. Um, are you guys on the same page in terms of what uh, he sees coming his way and what you think he can handle? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, think, I think the governor is doing a terrific job. You're right. I do speak to him frequently. He, he really cares about this. He really wants to do best. And he, he has to look at what the worst case scenario is. Mm. But if you look at the negotiations and the discussions that have been going on now, I think he's going to be OK, uh, Chris. I do think so, because every time we sit down at the meeting, we keep hearing about how we're going to be making sure at the local level and with the federal help, we're going to try and get him the things he needs. Mm. So let me ask you something. I just uh, open the curtain for people a little bit. Uh, you and I have known each other a very long time. I grew up hearing your name in my house. Uh, Andrew consulted you and you went against me on where my mother should be. But I hold no umbrage about that. Even though you were one of the reasons <laughs> that my mother got taken out of my house, I do not hold it against you, Dr. Fauci. I want you to know that. And that's not why I'm asking you the next question. How are you I'm sorry, able, Chris. You're not sorry, but that's okay. How do you stay <laughs> optimistic? You made the right call. I was being emotional about it. My mother was better off being somewhere else. I'm exposed to too many people. You and Andrew made the right call. Now, you're making those calls all the time. How do you stay optimistic when all the data is frightening? And then you talk to world officials and they say it's going to get more frightening. And you look at your capabilities and where it's popping up. And that seems frightening. How do you keep optimism about how we get through this in a good way anytime soon? Well, you know, Chris, th this is the life I've chosen. I mean, I, I know it would be challenging to be an infectious disease, but particularly geared towards countering outbreaks like this. Um, you know, I, I, I stay optimistic, but not unrealistically optimistic. The one thing I, I try very hard and I think I succeed is not letting my upbeat, optimistic, and I always say cautiously optimistic, my viewpoint on life ever, ever get me to be complacent. So I act optimistic. I mean, I, 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 I give the, the, the appearance of being optimistic, but deep down, I just do everything I possibly can, assuming that the worst will happen and I've got to stop the worst from happening. Can so, you, you know, it's a little bit of a conflict there. Well, listen, I mean, you got to prepare for the worst and you got to hope for the best. You're on the prepare for the worst side. Uh, we're on the hopeful side. Uh, the next wave, everybody keeps saying there'll be enough, no, uh, another wave. Do you think at this point you've gotten your colleagues and the national consciousness to the point where we won't go through this this way again, that we won't be playing catch up, the testing won't be slow, uh, we'll be in front of it, we can contact trace, we'll have the capabilities better in place if, God forbid, there is another wave as expected. Yeah. Um, Chris, first of all, you know, again, after talking to my colleagues on the WHO call, I think it's more likely than not 
that this is going to turn around and come back in another season. Because right now in the Southern Hemisphere in Southern Africa, they're starting to get cases as they go into their winter. And if that happens, this is not going to disappear. Mm -hmm. I don't think it will, which makes me more fortified, Chris, when you ask about how I feel about these things, of why we got to get that vaccine tested. We got to get it proven to be effective and we got to get it out. And we've got to develop drugs so that when we come around next year, it is not like this again, never again like this, so that we'll be prepared. We'll be a totally different ball game if this comes back next winter, next fall. Mm. I'll guarantee you they'll be different. Well, listen, people listen to you. They believe in you. Uh, they believe what you're saying. And when they hear you say that you're going to you believe more likely than not there's another wave coming they're going to be behind any efforts to prepare. Um, so, Dr. Anthony Fauci, I promise you, I know you're not a politician. I don't talk politics with you. I talk practicalities. I talk protocols. And I talk about what our path forward is. I wish you the best. Stay well. God bless you and your family. And God bless your efforts. Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're always welcome here. Thank you very much. And to you, too, Chris, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And forget about the mom thing. I'm over it. I'm over it. <laughs> and she says, hello, be well, get rest, take care of yourself. We need you. All right. So look, that's Dr. Anthony Fauci. We don't have better from him. Uh, he just told you there's going to be more of this. You have to prepare yourself for that. You have to steal yourself for that. We can get back to close to normal, but we have to be prepared for something abnormal. We didn't do it the first time. Will we be better the next time? Now, another lawmaker. Now in self-quarantine, Katie Porter, you know her, star freshman Congress member. She was fighting for remote voting. Now she's waiting for a COVID test result. She wants to talk to you about that, but also about this historic relief bill and the trick to getting money into your hands. What if you don't have direct deposit with the IRS? How do you get your check? Let's ask the lawmaker next. Democrat member of the House Katie Porter tonight in self-quarantine awaiting coronavirus test results. She joins us from her home in California. Uh, as you might imagine, I don't really care about the politics that much. How are you doing? When are you getting the test back? Um, I don't know. I had my test taken a couple days ago after feeling sick for about five days. Um, was in touch with my doctor. Um, they told me to call back if I got a fever um, and my symptoms got worse. I did. I went in. I got tested. The great news is I don't have an ear infection or strep throat or flu A or flu B. Um, so we've eliminated some things. They said it could take two to ten days to get my test result. So I'm just spending every day here in, um, in my bedroom uh, making sure that I try not to get my kids sick or anybody else sick. Oh, man. Are you getting a first uh, class taste of what it's like for so many people balancing professional family? You're the mother. You're the hub of the family. Um, tough spot. I'm sorry you're in it. Um, do you have any symptoms at all? Um, yes. Yeah, so I started with kind of sniffles, um, sneezing, runny nose, um, then just became incredibly fatigued at the end of last week, um, went to bed at five o'clock. That's really not like me. I, I usually have a lot of energy, um, spent several days in bed and then got a fever late Sunday night, early Monday morning. Um, and at that point, called back to my doctor's office um, and they asked me to come in. So aches and pains, headaches. Um, it, it doesn't feel like a cold, um, but I've been lucky. I'm not having trouble breathing. Um, that's a good thing. Um, and so I think, feel like I'm fortunate in that regard. We 
just don't know what this is, but no matter what it is, whether it's COVID or something else, I don't want to make anybody else sick, especially right now. Now, very responsible, very responsible. Uh, and look, it could be other things. So let's keep a little bit of optimism just in terms of how long it takes you out of the loop. Now, let's talk about something else. Two to 10 days, you're a damn member of Congress. Two to 10 wow. days to get a test turned around? Well, but my doctor, I don't know that my doctor knows that I'm a member of Congress, but regardless, this is the kind of testing. Get a new doctor. Um, Get a new doctor if they don't know that you're a member of Congress. No, no. So listen, (laughs) so many people are finding this. Um, I know people who've gotten their test results back in other parts of the country within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, I know somebody who was tested four days before me who is still waiting. So we're seeing a lot of variability in this. Um, and so while I obviously want the test results back for you know my own peace of mind so that my, I, my kids, I can see my kids, I'm not just talking to them through this door behind me, um, but I, you know, I also recognize that there are a lot of people out there who are having to wait for test results. And, and my, my situation here is, as you said, altogether too common, really. So we just had uh, Tony Fa- Dr. Anthony Fauci on, and he says, look, talking to the WHO, seeing the way this is moving around the world, we have to anticipate another wave, which means we actually have to anticipate this time. Um, you're experiencing a big problem. Two to 10 days to get tested is a death sentence here, not in terms of your health. God forbid. I'm saying in terms of protocol, you'll never contact Trace if you got a lag time of five days, let alone 10 or more. How committed do you think you can get your colleagues on both sides of the aisle to be to force the White House and come together to get us ready for the next wave, testing capabilities, capacities, planning, so we don't go through it this way again? Because I don't know that we can take this a second time. No, it's you're absolutely right. Congress needs to learn its lesson here. But I but I also want to be clear. There are and were a lot of good provisions in the law here that are just not being used. The Defense Production Act was mm-hmm. just sitting there as a tool. Let's pick it up and use it. When I had that viral questioning with the CDC director about covering the costs of mm-hmm. testing for people, that was an existing provision in the regulations at the Health and Human Services at for CDC to use. So the National Strategic Stockpile it was there. But what are we finding out? Oh, a lot of things were expired. Oh, we didn't have enough of this or that. And we didn't have a coordinated response. So I think the lesson is here. Yes, we need to prepare. But I think a lot of what this is about is about how good our administration is at using the tools that it has. And I think we're seeing, in my case, Governor Newsom in California, really trying to make use of every resource. Governor Cuomo, of course, in New York doing that. But the fact that we're leaving it to every different governor in every different locality is going to it's really doing a favor to this virus. And it's putting people's lives at risk. Yeah, I don't know. You're going to have to get us the answer. That's why you have to get better in terms of why the president won't pull the trigger on making companies do it. In fact, it would be pro-business because you'd be giving them the startup capital and the transition capital they need. The provisions are right there in the act. Um, And that's how it works. You can't just ask them how to do it. It'll never get done in time. Now, what you did almost get done is this bill that is the largest stimulus we've seen probably won't be the only act of its kind that we're going to need when this is all over. But how do people get the money, Um, uh, Congresswoman? The idea of if I don't have a direct deposit with the IRS, how do I get my check? 
Okay, so a couple things to remember. Um, the check's not the only kind of help that people are going to get. Um, so if you're unemployed, you're going to get your check through the unemployment system, just like you, you're going to get unemployment relief. But for the direct relief, what we're hearing is $1,200 for adults, um, but phasing out um, for people who make over a certain amount, um, $500 for children, um, again, phasing out. Um, and those phase-outs, by the way, are going to be difficult for people in high cost of living areas, which unfortunately, like New York and California, are some of our hardest hit areas, right? now. Um, if you have a direct deposit with the IRS, there's about 94 million taxpayers um, is the best estimate I've been able to find who do have a direct deposit um, on file with the IRS. So that's a lot of folks. But what if you don't? What if you don't even file taxes because you're under the income level? You need to check the most. Great question. So if you don't file taxes, what they're going to be using, I understand, is the 1099G data. Um, and so they're going to be trying to merge data sets. So if you have, if you're a recipient, say, of disability or Social Security, they're going to be able to pull that data set over. So that will be slower. But those people who receive government um, benefits right now, like Social Security disability, they do have direct deposit. So it, it definitely is going to be a problem. It's going to take longer for people who don't have direct deposit on top, but there is a plan. I, I do think having the IRS do the direct deposit is the best system that we have going to get help to the most people, but, but it's not perfect. There are going to be people who are going to have to wait, and truthfully, people can't afford to wait, especially with that April 1 deadline coming up. So many people have their bills due at the first of the month, whether it's rent, utilities, credit mm -hmm. cards. They set that bill date for the first of the month, so getting this passed immediately so that those checks can we can try to get it into people's hands by the first of the month is incredibly important. And remember those forbearance measures and remember the protect the little guy. Let's not uh, forget what we learned in 2008. Congresswoman Katie Porter, God bless you and the family. I hope the results are negative. We're here. Let us know so we can reassure your constituents and all the people who look to you for your guts and your intelligence all over this country. Thank you. All right. All right. There's a lot of focus on New York. This is not where cases are growing the fastest. We talked about it with Dr. Anthony Fauci. Louisiana, specifically New Orleans, why? We're gonna ask a brother and sister who are living it. They are desperate to see their mother who's contracted coronavirus. She's in a nursing home. They're living the Washington nightmare. It's playing out again. Will we do better this time? Their story next. So Louisiana is now seeing the fastest rate of coronavirus cases in the world, not just in this country, in the world. Again, why here? Why us? That's why we had Dr. Anthony Fauci on. So let's look specifically at Louisiana. In one week, they went from a couple of hundred cases to now nearly 1,800. The root cause, again, like in Washington, a cluster linked to a senior facility called the Lambeth House. 11 residents have already died because of the virus. 42 others have tested positive. These are some of the most vulnerable among us. That includes 84-year-old Barbara Gathright. Her children, John and Lynn, join us now. And I want you to see they are in separate um, panels because John's friend tested positive. He was exposed to the friend, so he wants to keep his sister safe, so they are in separate panels. Thank you for joining us, John and Lynn. I am sorry to meet you under these circumstances. What is your latest understanding, John, with your mother and her situation? Chris, thanks for having us. Um, 
We talked to the nurse this morning. We ran into a Facebook mom today. Uh, but she is eight days into the virus. She has stabilized. Her fever has started to drop. She ate some uh, chicken and vegetable soup the last few nights. And, um, and we're hoping that, uh, that she's on the mend. The last time we saw her was uh, a few days ago on FaceTime, and she was really didn't have enough breath to even speak. And so we, um, uh, I didn't, I just told her not to speak and um, uh, that I would just talk and tell her about everybody that misses him and blow her kisses. And, um, but she, she, she looked, uh, she looked uh, pale and, uh, her labored breathing and her inability to really uh, to speak. It just, uh, 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 it was disheartening and oh, it was scary. I can't imagine. I see so much of you in her face, uh, especially in the pictures with you guys side by side. Uh, Lynn. Right, I take after my mom. Lynn, um, the idea of not being able to get uh, to the center of the family uh, has to just be so taxing emotionally. Uh, what has been the hardest part for you in this, Lynn, in terms of being able to deal with not being able to be by your mama's side? Well, you know, um, I live very close to the place that she lives, just a few blocks away. And so I'm able to see my mom like every day. You know, I'm a big part of her life, even though she's there. And I bring my little dog over there and cheer her up. And her whole face lights up when I come in. And um now that she's sick with this virus and, um, you know, uh, I'm very concerned for her life and I'm afraid, I'm, I'm afraid I'll, I won't ever see my mom again. And it breaks my heart not to be there to hold her hand and talk to her and comfort her right now. God forbid uh, you don't get to see her again. Uh, your brother says that she's moving in the right direction. I understand why you've got to be uh, so nervous because she's vulnerable and people in that place have succumbed to the virus. But the best information you're getting, Lynn, is that she's going in the right direction right now. Yes. She's not on any instruments or anything. No, she's not. Okay. And um, I, I do think they're taking good care of her there. They're doing the best they can. But I also feel like that place is really overwhelmed, you know, there's a lot going on that I don't think they're really completely prepared for. You know, I, I, I do believe that they're doing a good job of taking care of my mom. I just, I just think the whole situation is so overwhelming. I know. And we saw it all in Washington, too. And I'm sure you're thinking about that and, um, and what that Absolutely. was like. I know. And yeah. Look, let's you know, just. I wish, I wish things had been different in that moment, you know, like, I mean, every nursing home in the country should have been testing and taking different protocol in that moment. We should have learned from that. I know we keep reliving a lot of mistakes here and the hope is that we get it together uh, in so many different ways so that any more exposure we have to this is handled better. John, let me ask you something. What is the experience so that we just don't, you know, I, I don't want to bathe you guys in the, in the concern about your mom the whole time. You know, we want the we want the country to know what you're going through and for you to know that there are people who care about you and that will push for information uh, and we'll hear for you as a contact to help in anything that you need with your mom. But, John, why do you think this is happening in Louisiana? 
Um, all of a sudden, you guys went from like a trickle to cases to it's exploding. I mean, what's the common wisdom down there? Do you think it was Mardi Gras and too much mixing or what was it? You know, I think it's probably Mardi Gras is certainly one of the theories that, that are that's out there. And that would explain a lot. But, um, you know, here in New Orleans, it's a, you know, it's, it's a lot of getting together. It's a lot of uh, meals and drinking and music and dancing. And, you know, we're just very interactive. I think uh, Italy is kind of ex experiencing that same kind of um, response because of their closeness. Mm. They touch each other a lot. Laissez les bon temps rouler. Let's let the good times roll. Uh, hopefully we all get back to that as soon as possible, but we do what we need to do in the meantime to secure the health of people like your mom uh, and so many in that greatest generation. And frankly, a lot of people our age and younger as well. John and Lynn, I promise you, You've got us as a point of contact. Let me know if your information flow slows down. We'll do everything we can. And please stay in touch. I want to make sure that your mom's all right. I'd love to meet her. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Chris. All right. God bless and Appreciate good luck. Appreciate you bringing us on. Thank you for sharing your story. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you for getting it out, sir. Listen, New Orleans, Queens, what's the difference? Together as ever as one. It's not just a tagline for politicians and TV types. It's our only way through this. We see that truth in the actions of our brothers and sisters springing into action to help make the weapons we need and that we're lacking in this war. Like who? Like Christian Siriano, big shot designer to the stars. Didn't matter. He's our newest American all-star. He heard the need. He responded. Why? You'll hear from him next. Yes, I was touching my face in the last segment. No, it's not because I have bad hygiene. It's because I was getting emotional about what they're dealing with with their mother because I think about my own the way you think about yours. And this is really hard uh, for everybody. So I got what I did. I know you shouldn't touch your face, but I can't be crying on television all the time either. Americans, they are the best of us stepping up to help the rest of us. Like who? Fashion designer Christian Siriano. So my brother, New York's governor, calls out for help, right, with this tweet last week. You may have seen it. Siriano sees it and he responds, I'm in. And he gets his whole team to start making masks. Guess how many he's made in just days? Let's hear it from him. Christian Siriano, welcome to primetime. And thank you for what you're doing, brother. Thank you so much. So how many masks? We are, we are up to almost 500 a day. So we will have a couple thousand by the end of the week. And we're really excited. I mean, who knew that that was what we were going to be doing? Why did but you do it? It's, I think it just was like, it felt like the right moment. I think, you know, I was listening to the governor every day and um, I felt kind of like we couldn't do anything. Um, I mean, my whole team, we make gowns all day. So I was like, well, we can sew. We can try to help, um, even if we help, you know, 2,000 people. I mean, that's still 2,000 more than we didn't before. So why not? The need is so desperate. I know the state is grateful and they've reached out to you. So because you're a designer, did you just go with what they told you to do with the mask? Is there a little bit of a Siriano flourish to the mask? 
I mean, I really, um, I did try to keep it as as technical as it could. They they sent me a pattern. Um, we try to follow it as best we could. I mean, the difference really is is that our mask is a, the fit is a little better. I had to work on it a little bit, um, and it's washable. I mean, you can wear this and wash it and bleach it, and I think that that's really important that you can wear it more than once. Um, so it's for all those people, you know, everybody that does even work in a doctor's office or a hospital that is going home every day. Mm-hmm. They want to wear something. That they wash at home and then wear the next day. I thought that was very important. Now, what did they say to you on the public health side about whether the washability was consistent with their standards? Are they okay with that? No, I mean, at the end of the day, we still have a label in every mask that says, you know, we can't guarantee anything because, you know, we're not medical mask makers. Um, This is really just to help um, Mm -hmm. and prevent as much as we can. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I hope one day we get there. Um, that we can make a real um, fully protective gear. But this is really just to help. And But I think it will. I think even just peace of mind, people will be able to go home thinking like, oh, I feel a little better not having nothing. Absolutely. Especially all the essential workers now, which is so much more broad than just the front lines heroes that we have. Obvious, right? I mean, the healthcare workers and all the caregivers, but you have the people who are driving them to work. You have all our utility workers who are still out there and members of the trades uh, that are doing things. A lot of them don't have any PPE. So let me see what you're coming up with for the mask. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we made, um, you know, it's pretty simple. Uh, we're making them in kind of white and gray, nothing fancy. They will not have uh, any labels in them. Uh, the most kind of important part is this kind of bendable metal piece here. And that kind of helps fit on the nose. So pretty stretchy, comfortable, but easy, like very simple. But I think speaks volumes. Well, what speaks volumes is you making the effort. Uh, this is not what you do. Um, this is not what you were supposed to do. This is not what you were told to do. You did it on your own. And that is a beautiful thing and an example to so many people in this country that we're not hiding. We're stepping up. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, any like small business owner in New York City, it's kind of like we also want to make sure that our company survive and our people. I mean, all of my employees have families like they need to work. So Mm. this was a way that they were able to work and do something great. So I think it's like, the best of both worlds. And a lot of them are home, right? I mean, your workers are home. So this is a way of keeping them doing things. Yeah, tell me, uh, describe the situation, please. Yeah, no, it is a mix. We have some people at home working from home because they want to stay at home and we respect that. And then we actually got approved to have a few people work in the studio. Um, We're all pretty separate, Um, but it is hard. I will say the production of masks you have to be with each other just to make products. So we try to be as safe as we can, and we're following all the guidelines. And But the governor gave us permission, which was really great, and, and we really appreciate um, him and his team for working so hard for us, too. So we're able to help. So it's been, it's been really great. And how's the team? Everybody healthy? Everyone is so healthy. I mean, we do temperature checks every day, twice a day. Um, and anybody that doesn't feel comfortable, you know, we obviously, you know, want to respect them and they can go home and work from home. But I will say the women who have been in my office sewing every single day, you know, 500 masks a day, uh, is, it's unbelievable to see and, and pretty amazing. They don't have to come to work and, and they have been. People care. 
Uh, it is a uniquely yeah. American and obviously a uniquely New York trait. Uh, as my mother says, la familia, people come together as family. And I love that people are getting to meet you this way also, uh, Christian. Obviously, yeah. I know who you are. My wife uh, covers your industry as part of her, uh, her business, The Purist, is wellness and fashion and all these different things. So I know who you are. But to meet a member of your generation this way, when so many young people are getting a black eye for not understanding the seriousness, you are embracing what will get us through yeah. this. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for doing no, this. No, thanks for having me. Oh, appreciate it. Listen, I appreciate you. Giving you the opportunity uh, is nothing because you are an American. You're showing us at our best. Good luck. Thank you so much. Hmm. I got a bigger task for Christian. Maybe after this, he can help my brother learn how to dress. You ever see him? Terrible. Shirts, very big, baggy around, small neck, tiny head, tough combination. Christian Siriano, American. Now, as you can see, we will be part of the solution here. It is not top down. It is not going to be our leaders. We have to do it also. More information on how you can help, go to CNN.com impact. So another example of somebody trying to reach out and help. Someone reached out to me and gave me a great guide for what I should tell you about how we have to be living right now. I hope you get the meaning of it faster than I did. Let's share next. All right, storytelling time. A buddy of mine is one of the best voice doctors in the world, so he is not to blame for how I sound. So he texts me to check in. So many of you have done that, by the way. I love you for it. I will never forget how people have reached out to be supportive during this time. And remember, we do this job for you. It is a privilege. So anyway, my buddy writes uh, that I have to tell people to think positive. I said, you are so right. We've been through far worse for far longer. Think of the greatest generation and their sacrifices. And by the way, let's remember not to kill them off out of some misplaced sense of social Darwinism where the best of us are killed off so the rest of us can take the easy way out. So then he texts me. It's not what I meant by think positive. Then I'm like, oh, of course, I'm sorry. We just can't be passive. We got to think about helping others. La familia, as my mother says, family, reach out helping source equipment, sharing essentials, not hoarding, going online, hugging with your heart. I care about you. That's why I do this job. Let people know. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing Let's Get After Fit on Instagram. Reach out to your friends and people that you haven't seen. Tell them, how's your heart? How's your head? I love you. I miss you. I'll see you soon. So then he writes, shut up and let me finish. Tell people to live as if they were positive for the virus. Think like you were positive. Third time's a charm. Now I get it. How would you live your life if you were positive for COVID-19? Not that you need an incentive this harsh, but you know, it could be criminal to knowingly spread something like this virus. But think about it. You'd stay home. You'd stay away from anyone in the house. God forbid you got them sick. You'd need your own space. You'd wash and sanitize compulsively, right? You'd definitely stay home and you'd stay acutely aware of how everything you did affected anyone else. You would also be insisting that we have enough beds and equipment, God forbid you need it, and staff, and that they're protected, and that this government was doing everything it could, take, could do to take care of you and people like you now, and God forbid if there's another wave. That's how you'd be thinking if you were positive for COVID. And you know what? It is the best prescription for all of us. The hardship is real. 
It's getting worse with time and bad economic news is going to make it harder to stay the course. I know that. The job numbers are going to come out tomorrow. It's going to be week over week, but they're not going to be good. Wall Street knows that. It'll be interesting to see how they react, but it's really about the rest of us, especially with the president putting it in our minds that it's been long enough. And I know, you know, we had Tony Fauci on tonight, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He says the opposite, you know, like, well, no, no, no. The virus sets the timeline. You don't set the timeline. The virus sets the timeline. So you got to look at your rates. Oh, the rates are coming down. Here's your question. Coming down how? The rate of acceleration or there are actually less cases than there were two days ago? Really important distinction. We'll stay on that. But it doesn't matter. This is going to curve when it curves. It doesn't change what we have to do. We have to think positive. If I had this test and I were positive, how would I live? How would I treat the people around me? How would I treat my movements? How would I treat my mentality about what I want to see for other people? And we do also have to use it as a metaphor for everything. Care about one enough, another enough to reach out. I get upset when I think about this stuff because I know that a lot of people are in pain. And it is frustrating that I can't do more. And I know you feel the same way. There is a powerlessness in this. But together, as ever, as one, we will see our way through. Strong head, strong heart, all day. We'll get through it. Thank you for watching. CNN Tonight with D. Lemon, right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.